0: As children come online in larger and larger numbers, more of them are exposed to potential risks of harm. But at the same time, uh, there's a very interesting thing going on in parallel in that we the research is showing that they also are exposed to increased numbers of opportunities, right? So we have to be very careful about the assumptions that we make about what's harmful for
1: children. How do children from different cultures operate the digital space differently? What are the new opportunities that are arising for children? I'm Sarah Crow here at UNICEF's Office of Research in Accenti in Florence. And in this podcast, Future of Childhood, I'm joining with some of the world's leading minds to explore the future of children's rights over the next 30 years and beyond, from paediatrics to politics, from digital rights to development, from neuroscience to a new renaissance. With me is one such leading mind, acclaimed academic Amanda Third, a Principal Research Fellow in Digital, Social and Cultural Research in the Institute for Culture and Society in Sydney. A lot of your work, Amanda, has been on the socio-cultural dimensions of young people's technological use, in particular children's rights and the digital age, dynamics between the generations, shaping technology and practice. What are we seeing uh, on the trends of everyday use online? What are children doing online and what does their everyday use look like? Sure. So so I've been working with children in a range of
0: different places around the world. And one of the things that is emerging is that Whereas when the internet first came into being, we thought that it would be used uh, for searching for information. You You might remember there were all those metaphors of the information superhighway and this kind of thing. Actually, what we've seen is an evolution where children today are using the internet primarily for communication. They are very enthusiastic users predominantly um, across the globe. They use this this technology really to sustain their offline uh, friendships and so it's a very important part of their lives. What are the numbers? So it's very interesting that you ask that question. Um, I think what we're seeing is is um, an exponential rise in the number of children coming online. Uh, we know in fact that one in three uh, new users of the internet uh is a child so um, and of course in many places where children are coming on in large numbers that you know those are the 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 nations in the global south where children are coming on very quickly um, particularly via mobile phones and so I think we can expect to see over the next sort of few years a really rapid rise in the numbers of children who are engaging online.
1: What are the implications of that? You studied a lot about the the issues related to safety and their exposure to, just on the negatives, the exposure to so much that's out there that they were never exposed to in any other period in time. That's right. So what we do know very
0: clearly is that uh, as children come online in larger and larger numbers... More of them are exposed to potential risks of harm. But at the same time, uh, there's a very interesting thing going on in parallel in that we the research is showing that they also are exposed to increased numbers of opportunities, right? So we have to be very careful about the assumptions that we make about what's harmful for children. We do of course need to pay particular attention to certain groups of children because we know that some children are much more vulnerable to risks than others and those tend to be the children who are more vulnerable offline. So those who don't have proper parental support around them or you know might be marginalised for one reason or another. Um, But there's this very interesting relationship between risk of harm and opportunity and benefit on the other hand. So we have to be very careful that As we work together to mitigate the risks that children confront, we have to pay attention also that those strategies don't impede children's capacities to maximise the opportunities of the digital
1: age. What are correlations between what children are experiencing online and their mental health? What sort of studies have been done? in that field. Have you, have you investigated that well? Yes,
0: so look, I was part of a very large research entity in Australia that had government funding to investigate the relationship between technology and mental health and well-being for young people. And uh, we, I guess, started to uncover some very, very interesting things, but in short, we still actually don't know nearly as much as we need to know about those issues um, so there's a a field or there's a you know there's a wide open space that we need to get into and get our hands dirty with because there are no simple um, causal relationships between technology use and mental health um, so for some young people or some children we see that they are more vulnerable to um, mental health risks and that digital technology can exacerbate those but for other children we we also see that technology can be a lifeline it can connect them to communities of support and resources and services and these kinds of things and so it's all about trying to learn you know how do we how do we get the, the balance right for the right children around the world in different contexts and settings to make sure that they can really uh, engage with digital technologies to support their, their mental health and well-being.
1: And when it comes to research, of course, the, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And with anything, seeing that it's quite new, it's a newly studied field. How do you go about getting the evidence in both, on both sides, whether it's positive or negative, we've seen really alarming trends in self-harm and suicide, not necessarily related to online technologies, but one makes that assumption. Is that fair or is it just the jury is really out? so I think uh, this
0: is a very difficult question to answer frankly we've we've got a lot of work to do I think what is becoming clear is that sometimes the methods that we've depended on traditionally are actually not quite up to the task of generating the sorts of um, uh, figures and understandings that we that we need in order to make smart decisions about these things so I um, On the one hand, I think we've got a real methodological challenge ahead of us. We need to find creative ways of engaging with children to understand these issues. I think um, a lot of policy making around the globe has conventionally been driven very much by statistics and numbers, and statistics and numbers are of course really important. They help us to identify where, where we should be focusing our attention. But when it comes to developing sophisticated responses to to those gaps in children's experiences or to the the negative experiences that children are having, we actually need a different kind of data. We need, um, I would argue, much more qualitative understandings. um, And we also need to be careful. I mean, researching with children is a really particular endeavour in as much as... If you, you know, our conventional methods of engaging children and young people tend to centre around interviews and focus groups and and so on. But those things, you know, if they're not done really well, can easily set up uh, power dynamics where children are more inclined to speak about the things that adults, or that they think adults want to hear, as opposed to reflecting on their experiences in in a more, we might say, raw kind of way. So, um, so I think we have to be clever. We have to actually engage children in in the task of developing the methods and the and the
1: evidence that we we need to to drive the solutions. The socio-cultural side, which is very much your field, how has that changed with this exposure to online? There's a lot of talk, a lot of discussion, a lot of research going on to the screen time aspect, and not really wanting to go down that avenue too much because again the jury's out but we have had guidelines from various paediatric societies and associations around the world, World Health Organization and so on but there must be an impact on how children's cultural world has changed, what's changing in their offline world as a result of their online exposure yeah
0: look it's a great question Sarah and I think um, one of the things that uh, we often do which I I think we need to pull ourselves up on is that we distinguish very sharply between the online world and the offline world and um, you know and this happens in all kinds of domains but you know we've got to focus at the moment on digital rights when arguably we need to be thinking actually not about you know rights in online spaces In isolation we need to actually be thinking about well how do we leverage technology so that children can realize their full range of rights okay and this is because children don't tend to make a sharp distinction between the online and the offline the technology has become very much integrated into growing numbers of children's lives around the world And I guess um, this has transformed their kind of everyday experiences, right? The way they connect and relate. Um, And so I think we've got to be very careful to sort of look holistically, not to focus on the technology itself, but to think about how does that technology fit into into a child's you know, full experience across, you know, across different relationships, across different spaces uh, and so on,
1: because the digital is beginning to structure children's lives in a very powerful way. You've done your studies in 16 different countries and your new study is going to involve 26 different countries. So although you're based in Australia, you clearly have a, a, a very big global view. But to go back to the case of Australia, how are you seeing Aboriginal communities... Um, operating in that online <clears throat> space or that rather blurred online offline space as, as you say that there isn't a distinction anymore. Uh, but yet these are traditional traditional societies. so how how rapidly is that world changing? Look, I think
0: um, I think those communities, um, as with many communities around the world, are grappling with how to integrate the technology meaningfully into their everyday contexts. I think certainly, um in the projects that I've worked on uh, with children uh, in the town camps outside Alice Springs, for example, I've been really amazed to see the ways that um, the ways that they've grabbed hold of technology and reinterpreted those those technologies to strengthen their culture, right? So
1: what are some examples?
0: Um, I think we've been we've been trying to experiment with some Aboriginal children around you know how might we capture their experiences in um, in ways that enable us then to. Um, to reflect that back up to policymakers and you know governments um, more broadly. you know they've got established ways of telling stories um, which don't necessarily match up with conventional kind of media narratives that you might see in the in the mainstream. Um, and so just watching how they've sort of taken those technologies and begun to tell stories in a very kind of culturally sensitive, Way and in a way that actually potentially um, strengthens and gives that their culture um, more longevity and uh, and strength over time. So
1: if you were to visualise it, how would an Aboriginal child use the, the cultural lens to operate differently online from say a white Australian or a, or an American um, or you know a European child in a very advanced economy for example? Yeah
0: so look and that's a very hard question for me to answer and and I think this is where we really need to engage these kinds of children in telling the story about how they are taking technology up and making use of it. I think what again I would say that we actually don't yet know you know what we can say definitively about how these Kinds of children are taking up these technologies, and I certainly haven't seen yet any consistent trends across these populations. You know, children do tend to take these technologies up in very contextually specific ways that are that you know resonate with with the ways that they're sort of positioned in relation to the rest of their community. So, um, so for example, some things that have come out of the work is that. Um, and this is not just for those communities in Australia, but also in other parts of the world where we've worked, that there's a lot more device sharing among families. And so that a child might have access to a mobile phone, but it's, you know, it might belong to a parent and that and that they must negotiate um, access with siblings and so on. And that this actually sets up particular dynamics around technology as a shared platform that are not necessarily there in what we might call sort of mainstream global culture right so um, so there's some interesting ways in which you know sort of certain Western cultures could really learn uh, from some of the lessons things that we're seeing in, in those more marginalized communities. So the
1: demands then for for access to new technologies it's almost as though that's becoming the, the most pressing right in communities that do not have access because of their marginalization because of what happens. As a result of them not having access, does that change the way we look at the Convention on the Rights of the Child going forward?
0: Look, I think, I think certainly um, access is still the number one challenge for children around the world. So we've done two major studies, um, one in 2014 in 16 countries and one uh, in 2017 in 26 countries, and um, both of those studies showed very powerfully that um, access remains for many children around the world, particularly in the Global South, the key uh, challenge to their rights. If you like, um, so I think we do. We do need to be really paying attention to um, to access because, of course, it's not just about access to a technology. It's about. It's also about the quality of that access. So, as I said earlier, um, you know, many children are actually coming online via a mobile phone, which is a fundamentally different experience to, you know, a computer that's plugged into broadband right so yeah I think we really need to pay attention to questions of quality of access but as we as as those children are coming online and they are coming online very rapidly and that's driven by many different factors government support technology corporations expanding into new markets etc etc as we as we see them come online we not only need to pay attention to their provision rights, but we also need to foreground their protection and, most importantly, from my point of view, their participation rights. So I think the Convention for the Rights of the Child um, stipulates that, you know, there are these three kinds of rights and in many ways it's children's participation rights that, that makes the Convention stand out from other treaties around children's rights that came before it. But at the same time... Children's participation rights are incredibly difficult to deliver on. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a really wonderful dream, but, but we've not yet, I think, found the right kinds of ways to, um, to really engage children meaningfully in the decision-making
1: that impacts their lives. Um, so that's a really big challenge for us. So another challenge going forward, of course, is you've mentioned the quality of technology. But what about the quality of the information that they're getting online? We're in this era of fake evidence, fake news. A lot of false information is being disseminated on these new platforms. or well, not new. They're not new really anymore. How can child rights organizations, experts like yourself, help navigate a way forward for children to to be able to disseminate and discern the difference between what is fake and what is real and what whether you tell a photograph as being fake or real whether you're able to distinguish that or indeed the information and the quality of that information what ways can you can you give what sorts of guidelines can be put in place to support that?
0: I think there's a really... um, What's very encouraging about, um, I guess, some of the challenges that have arisen in the digital environment in recent months is that it has inspired a renewed interest in issues around digital literacy and critical digital literacies um, specifically. So not just the skills that, you know, the technical skills that children need to navigate um, the online world, but um, more, more specifically, the kind of critical understandings and, and capacities to interpret that information. It's come at a very good time in the sense that, um, you know, this is an issue that I think digital literacy scholars have been urging They've been urging this focus for a long time and and recent events around Cambridge Analytica and other kinds of things have have finally landed us in a place where it's getting the attention that it needs. I think there's a lot of great research to draw on around uh, critical digital literacies. I think we need to um, focus on building critical digital literacies in context because I think sometimes our solutions tend to be more blanket, you know, import a digital literacy program from another country and roll it out. When actually we know that the ways that children navigate information and make, you know, make truth out of it, if you like, are deeply structured by contextual factors. So I think we really need to pay attention to the contexts in which children are um, living and growing up. But also, I think um, we need to really begin to focus on a key provision issue, which is language content. Of course, the majority of the internet is in English, and children don't have access to language resources, health information, you know, uh, educational resources, etc., in a language that they speak confidently and which they speak with their peers and their family members. So there is a real need to begin to seed language initiatives across the globe I think because this is going to this is going to enable children to
1: have the kinds of information that we'd like to have in their hands. And not just rolling out from one country to the next but even within countries where you've got such diverse populations and cultural norms as you cited the example of Australia but so many other countries could be seen in that way whether you've got class, caste, race, all kinds of diversities even within one country and you wouldn't want to be sort of eliminating those but rather work within the cultural context of those of those societies as they are. That's
0: right? right, and that's right. But that's where I think we have a real advantage in the kind of digital media environment that's in front of us today because, of course, there is this strong user-generated kind of participatory media um, possibility, if you like. And if we can begin to... Um, to to inspire children to take up more of the creative opportunities online we then have children generating content that reflects their experiences that can be shared with their communities and we begin to generate the sorts of resources that we need them that we need them to take advantage of so um, i think you know what we do know is that actually most children are not taking advantage at this moment of all of those creative possibilities. And so I think we really need to focus in on building those skills, providing children with spaces and opportunities to really explore those aspects of the technology.
1: Excellent, a world of opportunities lies ahead, clearly. Clearly. (laughs) Thank you, Amanda Third, thank you for your time. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you for listening to our podcast, The Future of Childhood. Be sure to subscribe to our series for more fascinating insights into the world of tomorrow to help make sense of a rapidly changing today. To find out more about our work and the series, visit our website at unicef-irc.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unicef Innocenti And on Twitter, we're at UNICEF Innocenti and I'm at scrow underscored UNICEF. Thank you from your friends at UNICEF. For every child, answers.